Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Please stand by. Your meeting is about to begin. Good morning and welcome to the CIBC Quarterly Financial Results Call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. I would like to turn the meeting over to Jeff Weiss, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Jeff. Thank you and good morning. We will begin this morning's presentation with opening remarks from Victor Dodig, our President and Chief Executive Officer. Following Victor, Raj Panosian, our Chief Financial Officer, will review our operating results. Sean Bieber, our Chief Risk Officer, will close out the prepared remarks with a risk management update. We are joined in the room by CIBC's business leaders, including Harry Cullum, Laura Dottori Atanasio, and John Huntalis, as well as Mike Capitides, who is joining us remotely from the U.S. They are all available to take questions following the prepared remarks. When we get to the Q&A, to ensure we allow enough time for everyone to participate, I ask that you please limit your questions and requeue. As noted on slide two of our investor presentation, our comments may contain forward-looking statements which involve assumptions that have inherent risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially. With that, I will now turn the meeting over to Victor. Thank you, Jeff, and good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you're all keeping well. In an environment where pandemic-related challenges continue to impact the economy, our diversified business model delivered record adjusted net income of $1.6 billion, which is up 11% from last year. We also continued to build on our capital strength, closing the quarter with a CET1 ratio of 12.3%. Since the onset of the pandemic, we've clearly demonstrated our preparedness and our ability to manage the crisis at hand while investing for the future. Now we know that the economic recovery won't be a straight line, but we will emerge from the pandemic, and the CIBC team is well positioned to deliver growth as the recovery takes hold. As we execute on our strategy, we remain very connected to how the pandemic is affecting the lives of our clients and our team. Their well-being remains our top priority. Our strong performance is being driven by the execution of our client-focused strategy, which has three key priorities. First, over the past year, we've made significant enhancements to our Canadian consumer franchise as we accelerate growth. This includes adding new leaders and investing in our people, as well as continuing to innovate and enhance our products and our platforms. During the quarter, we made further investments to our market-leading CIBC dividend card, expanding the number of categories eligible for cashback rewards, and increasing the flexibility to redeem those rewards. This further strengthens our offer for clients in the important and growing everyday rewards market. Another area that's driving the improvement in our results this quarter is our continued momentum in our mortgage business. The improved volumes we delivered at the end of last year have continued into this quarter, with year-over-year spot balance growth of 8% and sequential growth of 3%. These results reflect enhancements to the end-to-end client experience, as well as strong results from our focus on retention. In addition, our efforts to improve mutual fund sales were rewarded this quarter with record net flows. Overall, we've made significant progress this quarter to reinvigorate our Canadian consumer franchise, which is very much in line with our strategy. We're confident that the strategic technology and talent investments we've made will continue to support growth into the future. Now let me turn to our second priority, which is to accelerate the transformation of our bank. Over the past five years, we have focused on streamlining our operations and eliminating inefficiencies to reduce our cost base. Through these efforts, we've achieved cumulative cost savings of more than $800 million. Importantly, these savings have been reinvested in the growth of our business, as well as strengthening the foundation of our bank. We've added resources to our revenue-generating workforce in strategic areas identified as high-growth opportunities. Our technology transformation has embraced cloud services, 
AI, and machine learning as we build a leading-edge data management and analytics function to support strategic decision-making across our bank. And we've also launched client-facing platforms, such as CIBC Goal Planner, which has been performing very well since its launch in November. And another example of how we're investing in technology to enhance the client experience is the recent launch of CIBC Insights. This new feature uses AI and machine learning to provide our mobile banking clients with tailored information and insights into their spending to help them make more informed everyday financial decisions. We're also continuing to focus on risk mitigation activities, such as cybersecurity and anti-money laundering, which are fundamentally important to protecting our clients and to protecting our bank. In fiscal 2021, we expect to realize over $260 million of incremental run rate cost savings, and we will strategically reinvest most of it back into the business in support of furthering our strategy. Our third strategic priority is maintaining and growing our resilient North American commercial banking and wealth management businesses and our capital markets franchise. On both sides of the border, our commercial banking and wealth management businesses continue to benefit from deep client relationships and the strong culture we've built around referrals, which is driving high quality loan and deposit growth. As well, our award-winning investment performance, coupled with our emphasis on advice, is supporting strong fund flows in both Canada and the United States. And our capital markets franchise continue to deliver record results, driven by robust client activity in the key markets where we operate. Equally core to our business strategy is our bank's commitment to, to sustainable economic growth. This is fundamental to our long-term strategy and to our purpose, and it guides everything we do. Over the past few years, we've made considerable advances in our ESG strategy, and our efforts were recognized by three third-party organizations this quarter. First, CIBC was named to the Dow Jones Sustainability Index in North America for the 16th consecutive year. Second, we've been included in Bloomberg's Gender Equality Index for the sixth consecutive year. And thirdly, we ranked among the top tier of global banks for climate change actions by CDP, which is formerly known as the Carbon Disclosure Project. We're pleased to be recognized for our commitment toward building a more sustainable future, and we will continue to strengthen our commitment to sustainability, as well as further our support for our corporate clients in this area going forward. In closing, February is Black History Month, and I'm pleased to share with you that we are doubling our annual investment in the next generation of leaders and change makers from the black community working in consultation with the CIBC Black Employee Network and our external partners, including the Black North Initiative, this increased investment will be earmarked for education, skills training, and mentorship initiatives. As well, we've launched a new banking program for black-owned businesses in Canada, designed to remove barriers for entrepreneurs from the black community. These efforts are all part of our commitment to an inclusive economy, which is key to our long-term growth. Now, with that, I'm going to turn the call over to Harach for a detailed view, review, overview of our financial results. Over to you, Harach. Thank you, Victor, and good morning, everyone. Starting on slide six, this morning we reported diluted earnings per share of $3.55 for the first quarter of 2021. Excluding the amortization of acquisition-related intangibles, adjusted EPS was $3.58. The quarter's results highlight our progress against the key objectives we set out at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've demonstrated the resilience of our balance sheet and continued to build our capital and liquidity positions over the last year. Our Q1 CET1 ratio of 12.3% and LCR of 142% remain significantly above regulatory requirements. This quarter, helped by constructive markets and strong execution of our strategy, we achieved record results and an adjusted ROE of 17.2%. We are on track to deliver pre-pandemic levels of profitability as the environment normalizes. And finally, as Victor mentioned, our financial results are starting to reflect the improvements we've made to our competitive position across our businesses through the focused strategic investments. Turning to slide seven, the balance of my presentation will refer to adjusted results which exclude items of note. Record pre-provision pre-tax earnings of $2.3 billion and net income of $1.6 billion were up 5% and 11% respectively from the prior year, or 14% and 28% from the prior quarter. 
These results reflect the positive momentum in our business, as well as tailwinds related to strong markets and lower credit losses. Revenue of $5 billion was up 8% sequentially, or 2% year-over-year, benefiting from robust capital markets and wealth management flows, continued strength in our commercial businesses, and accelerating growth in Canadian personal banking. These factors were partially offset by reduced client activity due to continued economic restrictions in some of our key markets and the impact of lower interest rates. Expenses were comparable to the prior year as the benefits of recent efficiency initiatives offset ongoing strategic investments and higher revenue-driven variable expenses. We remain committed to the continued transformation of our cost base to fund long-term investments against our strategic priorities. Consistent with prior guidance, we expect this to result in net expense growth in the low single-digit range in fiscal 2021. Before I review the results of our business segments, I'll touch on some of our key revenue drivers. Slide 8 highlights the drivers of net interest income, which accounted for over 50% of revenues in Q1. Excluding stronger trading activity, NII continued to improve sequentially and was comparable to the prior year, as solid volume growth on both sides of the balance sheet offset the continued impact of lower rates. Deposit growth remained robust across our business. We saw improved growth in personal mortgages and Canadian commercial lending, and we maintained the momentum in other credit portfolios. Total bank NIM declined two basis points sequentially due to changes in both individual business margins and mix. Canadian personal and commercial NIM declined five basis points from the prior quarter due to changes in asset mix and the impact of lower interest rates, partially offset by strong deposit flows. Going forward, we expect continued pressure on PNC NIMS as we absorb the full impact of recent changes in interest rates and further changes in asset mix. NIM in our U.S. segment was up 23 basis points relative to last quarter, benefiting significantly from loan prepayments, including PPP forgiveness, as well as growth in client deposits. Consistent with prior guidance, we anticipate core margin in this business to be relatively stable and expect the incremental benefit from ongoing prepayment activity and elevated deposit levels to normalize later in 2021. Assuming we see the economy open back up in the back half of 2021, we anticipate positive momentum in non-trading NII as volume growth offsets ongoing margin compression from lower interest rates. Turning to slide nine, non-interest income of 2.1 billion was up 17% from the prior quarter and 1% from the prior year. The strong sequential performance was driven by robust transactional and market-related fees across all of our business segments. Strong market-related revenues reflect robust client activity in capital markets, as well as market appreciation and strong flows in wealth management. While we continue to see improvement in some transactional fee categories from last year's levels, activity in cards and payments continues to be below pre-pandemic levels. As economic restrictions are lifted, we expect client activity and transaction fees to continue recovering. Turning to slide 10, our capital position continued to strengthen, ending the quarter with a CET1 ratio of 12.3% or 12.1%, excluding the ECL transitional benefit. Strong internal capital generation added 37 basis points this quarter and was partially offset by higher RWAs from organic growth. Average LCR of 142% was relatively stable from the prior quarter and well above the 100% regulatory minimum. We remain well positioned to deploy our balance sheet resources in support of our strategic growth initiatives with over $8 billion of capital in excess of the regulatory requirement. Slide 11 reflects our personal and business banking results, where we continue to see positive trends as we revitalize the business. Net income for the quarter was $652 million, up 13% from last year, helped by sequential improvement in pre-provision earnings, as well as lower provisions for credit losses. While down 3% from the prior year, revenues of $2 billion improved 1% sequentially as solid volume growth on both sides of the balance sheet and the ongoing recovery on non-interest income begins to offset the economic impact of the pandemic. Expenses of $1.1 billion were comparable to the prior year and up 1% from the prior quarter. We anticipate expense growth to accelerate as we continue to invest in our frontline digital capabilities and client offerings in this business. Moving on to slide 12. Net income in Canadian commercial banking and wealth management was 354 million, up 5% from a year ago, 
driven by accelerating client activity across both commercial banking and wealth management. Commercial banking revenue was up 1% from a year ago, driven by higher fees and strong deposit volume growth of 26%, which more than offset the impact of lower rates. This quarter also marked the return to sequential growth in commercial loan balances, which were 2% higher than the prior year. Wealth management revenue was up 4% from the prior year, primarily driven by higher fee-based assets as a result of both market appreciation and robust client flows. Increased non-interest expenses were impacted by the higher revenue performance. Slide 13 shows U.S. commercial banking and wealth management results in U.S. dollars. Net income of $155 million was up 12% from the prior year as we continue to grow market share through increased breadth and depth in our client franchise. Revenues were up 15% due to strong client origination activity, which drove growth in client balances, assets under management, and fees. Despite moderating in recent quarters, partly due to PPP forgiveness, average loans grew 10% from a year ago, while deposit growth of 42% continues to outpace loans. In our wealth business, solid AUM growth of 20% benefited from both client flows and market appreciation. Non-interest expenses were down 2%, reflecting the results of our efficiency initiatives and the continued impact of pandemic restrictions on business development activity. Slide 14 covers capital markets, where we continued the recent momentum delivering record results with solid contributions from across the business. Net income of $493 million was up 30% from the prior year, largely driven by pre-provision, pre-tax earnings, which increased 37% sequentially and 27% year-over-year. Revenues of $1.2 billion were up 17% from the prior year, driven primarily by growth across most global markets businesses, as well as increased activity in corporate and investment banking and our direct financial services business. Non-interest expenses were up 6% compared to the same quarter last year, largely due to higher performance-based expenses. Slide 15 reflects the results of the corporate and other business unit. Net loss of $59 million in the quarter compared to net income of $11 million in the same quarter last year. The segment's revenues continued to be impacted by pandemic-related headwinds in our Caribbean business, as well as elevated cost of liquidity reserves in Treasury. We expect these factors to persist through 2021 and moderate when the recovery period takes hold. Expenses in this segment are impacted by the timing of enterprise strategic initiatives, and we anticipate an increase later in 2021 as we continue investments across our bank. In conclusion, I'd like to reiterate three key messages. One, the strength of our balance sheet continues to provide us with significant flexibility to support our clients, grow our business, and return capital to our shareholders, while maintaining the resilience to absorb any future headwinds. Two, we remain well positioned to continue creating value for our shareholders in the immediate term, and to return to pre-pandemic ROE levels as the environment normalizes. And three, while we are pleased with the early results from our improved competitive position, we will continue to invest in our bank to build on this momentum. With that, I will turn the call over to Sean. Thank you, Varach, and good morning. In our first fiscal quarter of 2021, we've seen positive signs that point to an improving economic outlook and economic recovery in the second half of this year and into 2022. Credit performance this quarter was strong and better than we expected, due in part to continued low insolvencies and ongoing government support programs. That said, and consistent with our views last quarter, we expect to see impaired losses increase from here and peak in the middle of this year before reducing again over subsequent quarters as economic performance improves. Overall, government support programs continue to help blunt the economic impacts of the pandemic and our clients continue to exhibit disciplined behavior in view of the economic uncertainty. Turning to slide 18, Provision for credit losses was $147 million in Q1, down from $291 million in the prior quarter, with lower provisions in performing loans partially offset by an increase in impaired loans. Provision on impaired loans of $236 million was up $58 million from last quarter, largely due to higher provisions in both retail and business and government loans. In Canadian personal and business banking, this quarter saw a sequentially higher provision in personal lending from the unusually low levels in Q4, partially offset by lower write-offs experienced in credit cards. 
In our business and government portfolio, we experienced higher provisions in the utilities sector of our capital markets business and in CIBC First Caribbean, partially offset by a small decrease in both U.S. and Canadian commercial. This quarter, we have a provision reversal of $89 million in our performing portfolio. Approximately one-third of this reflects the net transfer of performing provision to impaired provision for loans that became impaired this quarter. And the balance of the reversal reflects our improved outlook and portfolio movement. While credit outperformed our expectations this quarter, we continue to expect additional negative credit risk migration across the portfolio over the next few quarters and for impaired losses to peak mid-year. The earnings impact from these losses are expected to be somewhat offset through the transfer of performing provisions to impaired losses. Turning to slide 19, we've provided details of our allowance coverage by line of business. Our allowance coverage ratio remained relatively flat quarter over quarter. We continue to feel comfortable with the current level of coverage and remain focused on monitoring the credit quality of our portfolios for potential future adjustments. On slide 20, we show our credit portfolio mix, which remains well diversified and consistent with last quarter. Nearly two-thirds of our outstanding loans are to consumers, the majority of which are mortgages, and the balance of our portfolio is in business and government lending with an average risk rating for the portfolio equivalent to a triple B. Again this quarter, we've included in the appendix the additional details on specifically affected industries, which are performing in line with our prior outlook and expectations at this time. Slide 21 provides an overview of our gross impaired loans. Gross impaired dollars were up, mainly driven by business and government loans. The increase was mainly in the real estate and construction sector in the U.S. While new formations trended higher this quarter, this increase is expected, and we've seen some accounts affected by COVID moving to impairment. Slide 22 shows the net write-off and 90-plus day delinquency rates of our Canadian consumer portfolios. Over the past two quarters, we experienced lower insolvencies and flow write-offs as a result of government support programs and bank relief offerings. Flow write-offs continued to remain low in Q1, while insolvencies showed a slight increase off the lows in Q4. Both of these movements are in line with the Canadian national trend. Delinquencies in both credit cards and personal lending increased this quarter in line with our expectations. As we've discussed on prior calls, in fiscal 2020, we proactively enabled payment deferrals for a portion of our credit card clients who were already showing vulnerability at the onset of the pandemic. The increase in the 90-plus day delinquencies we saw this quarter is driven largely by clients who have exited the bank relief program and continue to have financial difficulties. Those that remain delinquent will write off at 180 days, which will occur in Q2, and will result in higher losses and we've reflected those expected higher losses in our performing provision. In closing, we had strong performance across our credit portfolios in Q1 and better than we had expected at the start of the fiscal year. Subject to the usual caveats around the uncertain environment, based on what we've seen and our current outlook, we expect impaired provisions to trend higher and peak in the middle of 2021, but expect to outperform our guidance from last quarter. And finally, we remain comfortable with the quality of our portfolios and will continue to be both prudent and responsive to the performance of our portfolios as we determine our allowance levels in coming quarters. I'll now turn the call back to the operator for questions. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. And the first question is from John Aiken from Barclays. Please go ahead. Good morning, Haraj. The um, expense performance in the quarter was uh, was quite good from our uh, from my perspective. Um, I was wondering, given the fact that you uh, gave us some indications that uh, you expected expenses to increase, particularly the domestic PNC, I think you said you expected to accelerate. What a, what outlook or what are you uh, budgeting for in terms of operating leverage through the remainder of the year? Sure. Good morning. Um, 
I'd be happy to cover that. And so uh, part of the color we wanted to give was that this quarter was a particularly good quarter uh, with the expenses being flat. And there's a number of reasons for that that we don't think will uh, will continue in that way. So one, uh, we had some timing differences, as we mentioned. So this is related to the acceleration of investments against our strategic priorities. And as we've planned those initiatives out, some of those activities are are increasing and the P&L impacts of those will be increasing through the year. The second is Q1 itself uh, has a uh, has, is a Q, on a year-over-year basis over last year has a benchmark that's pre-pandemic, and so on that basis, uh, once we get to Q2 and later in the year, we did have those decreased expenses due to decreased travel, business development, advertising as the restrictions set in. Uh, so on a year-over-year basis, those are tougher comps, and so uh, those are the things I would watch out for. And when you put all that together. Uh, what we're reiterating here is that that low single-digit range for core expense growth we think is the right level. We're committed to continuing to find investment uh, opportunities, and we're committed to find initiatives on efficiencies to fund that. Uh, and at the same time, we're seeing some pretty good revenue performance. So I would say that core we think is low single digits, uh, and that can get pushed up uh, if the revenue-linked expenses end up higher if we continue performing uh, beyond our expectations. So. That's the guidance I would give on expenses. And on the operating leverage, you know, it's a tough year for operating leverage. We're working towards a positive operating leverage that, uh, that we can sustain. I think this quarter's operating leverage, as I spoke about, if you go through that dynamic on expenses, I, I wouldn't look for that to sustain through the rest of the year. But as we come out of the end of this year and accelerate on the revenue side as the economy opens up, uh, we're looking for that positive operating leverage. Thanks, Raj. And just as a quick follow-on, um, when you talk about the strategic uh, initiative spending, um, as we drill down into technology spend, would would you say that your technology spend is accelerating, maintaining the same, or, or decelerating? We are accelerating on the technology front, um, and there's a number of things in that. It's defensive investments for the bank. It's offensive and digital capabilities on the sales and service side. It's across the board. But uh, we do see, when we talk about that, transformation of the bank, we see technology playing a big role in that. And so there's investments on the technology side that will help us take out non-technology sides and, and uh, on, on the non-technology side expenses and get more efficient in that way. Thanks, Raj. I'll, I'll recue. Thank you. The next question is from Manny Grauman from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Sean, it sounds like you're talking about uh, impairments increasing, but uh, at a slower pace uh, than uh, what you uh, thought uh, when you talked to us in Q4. I'm wondering if you could just translate that into uh, the guidance you gave on the PCL ratio, the PCL ratio on, on impairs. I think you talked about 40 basis points. Um, it was 22 this quarter, so I'm just wondering what the outlook is. Uh, you still hold to that 40 or, or is it lower in your mind? Sure. Good morning, Manny. So our credit uh, outperformed this quarter, as I mentioned, particularly in the retail side. Uh, it's a combination of government support, um, the, the bank relief programs that we had instituted last year, prudent client behavior, and also our activity in terms of proactively reaching out to clients who have uh, shown early signs of, of stress. So. We still expect to see the peak in the middle of the year, but uh, subject to the, the uncertainty uh, caveat is typical, uh, we're now looking at uh, our impaired loss ratio coming in towards the mid-30s. So that would be down from where we were in Q4, and that's really driven by uh, a number of elements, the benefit of another quarter of data, what we've seen in the portfolios, and our updated outlook. Thanks for that. Thank you. The next question is from Gabriel Deshane from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. A uh, question on, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the mortgage business. It's been on fire for everybody, and I see 17 uh, billion of origination. I think that's the highest ever for your bank. Uh, you know, a lot of that's from the pent up demand phenomenon, buying second homes and stuff like that. I'm just wondering, is there, a, you know, because we're missing the uh, the, the demand from you know Canada's immigration uh, trends over the past few years. So is there uh, maybe a big drop off in the mortgage business that you could see next year if uh, you know immigration levels don't return to 
you know, their pre-COVID levels. And this isn't just CIBC specific, obviously. Uh, bonjour, Gabriel. Bonjour. Uh, I'll take that uh, question. Uh, so yes, the market uh, remains hot. I like to believe the, the good performance you're seeing from CIBC also has a lot to do with uh, a lot of the hard work that our team members have been uh, putting into turning our, our performance around. Uh, I tell you, uh, from our side, from an outlook perspective, uh, we're continuing uh, to expect high single-digit mortgage growth. Um, so we'd expect that for the remainder of 2021. We do expect immigration at some point is going to open back up too, which will help. Uh, we're mostly focused on 2021, um, and I'd say that the rest of the year uh, is looking good. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so uh, I guess, but I, I, this year the, the, the outlook is, I think, still pretty good. But, you know, what happens if immigration doesn't come back in, in the next year or two? Uh, Gabriel, it's Victor here. Um, I don't know where it's going, but I'm pretty certain that the government's announced a policy to increase immigration to well above 400,000 people. Right. And I think that that will pro continue to provide a tailwind for us. Uh, the important thing to note about our mortgage growth is we've closed the gap from where we were a year ago, just like we said we would. Yep. We did that through investments in technology, investments in our mobile advisor force, and continuing to be competitive in the marketplace. And we've won back share on a relative basis over this past year. And I fully accept, expect that our team will continue to lead that, that trend. And as, mortgage, as immigration opens up, we'll continue to capture more than our fair share. Well, certainly it's been a good turnaround, a good performance in that business. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Ibrahim Punawala from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning. I, I guess uh, just moving maybe on the commercial side I means it appears that the uh, demand probably slow in the first half of the year, both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, just talk to us in terms of your uh, view of your competitive positioning in both markets on the commercial lending side. And also in the U.S., uh, we saw the retirement of Larry. Does that change anything in terms of strategically things that you may or may not do in the U.S.? Uh, good morning, Ibrahim. So a couple of things there. Uh, our commercial businesses are performing well uh, in terms of both deposit and loan growth. Uh, the U.S. business is performing particularly well because the economy is more opened up than it is in Canada. With the Canadian economy opening up, we would expect our performance to continue to capture again more than our fair share in that growth. In terms of uh, personnel changes, uh, Larry became chair last year. Mike Capitides has been running the business for a year. Uh, it's all well in hand. Larry decided to retire. He's a good friend of the bank and you can read the press release. He'll be helping us from the shadows in his retirement as we continue to grow the business. But to give you more color on our commercial banking businesses. Let me start, start off with John Huntalis for Canada, and then we'll hand it off to Mike Capitides in the U.S. So good morning, and thank you, Victor. Um, I'd start with saying that our clients, I, I'm probably more optimistic than I've been in a few quarters because our clients are more optimistic. Uh, in talking to them, I think the speed of the U.S. recovery has surprised over the last few months, and most of Canada's kind of mid-market and even smaller businesses, their growth was coming from the U.S., so entrepreneurs are optimists. They see the U.S. opening. They're ready to go. Uh, you couple that with uh, private company M&A is pretty reasonable. Uh, our good real estate clients are active. We're prudently following them. Our utilization rates have started to kind of bottom out, and they've been on a drop for probably four quarters for sure. So you combine all that with the investments we've made over the last year in people and technology, uh, we're ready. We were ready to support our clients through difficulties in March and April. Uh, we're ready when they're ready to grow, and we're looking forward to getting back and uh, calling on our prospects. It feels, uh, it feels better than it did a few months ago. Uh, Mike, can I pass it over to you? Yeah, thank you, John. Well, in the U.S., we continue to see healthy loan growth from our clients, which is moderated a bit by the forgiveness process on the first round of the triple P loans. But significantly, over half our loan generation came from 
our new offices, our new products, our new initiatives that reflect the investments of the, uh, the past uh, several years. And we added 210 new strategic clients in the past quarter alone. In fact, we could do more, but we're not compromising on our margins or, uh, or our, our, our credit. But I also want to add that, uh, um, you know, the build-out of our wealth and private bank, uh, banking platform, which has a, a very healthy referral, um, uh, referral numbers between our commercial bank, is also starting to come online and helping uh, fuel growth uh, in, in all these areas. So, you know, looking forward, we have a strong pipe, uh, pipeline, you know, again, moderated by, uh, by the Triple P uh, forgiveness, but we do expect our growth and our performance to continue into the second half of, uh, of this year as our, our clients continue to come online and uh, private equity starts to uh, accelerate the deployment of the large amounts of cash uh, they have available for uh, for transactions. Got it. Thank you, Rico. Thank you. The next question is from Mario Mandelka from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning. A quick question on small business lending. I know it's a small portion of your overall uh, lending, but we are seeing what surprising surprising me at least a pretty good spike in small business lending and also uh, sort of perhaps connected an increase in credit fees. Could, could you talk to what's happening in small business lending at the bank and if, in fact, it is connected to the increase you're seeing in credit fees? Hi, Mario. It's uh, Laura. It's a bit hard to hear the last part of uh, your question. I believe it had to do with what we're seeing in, um, in our small business banking. Yes. Um, so I tell you, we're not seeing uh, a lot of uh, lending or uh, requests from um, a client acquisition or uh, deposit growth perspective, though. Uh, that is actually um, looking positive. Now, a lot of that has to do with the uh, various uh, government funding programs that are in place. And so deposit growth has actually been strong for us. It's been up about 25% year over year. What's interesting is we're seeing um, our account open activity is actually up quite a bit at about 50%. So we see, I would say, small business uh, managing very prudently, holding on to their uh, dollars and monies they've received from the government um, as many wait for the economy to reopen. And so we think there's a measured opportunity on the business lending side. Um, as things start to uh, to open up again. Okay, I, I had just observed that it was up sequentially, but again, from a small base. Maybe, maybe we could just turn to credit fees then. If anyone could speak to the what's happened in the last couple of quarters of credit fees, they've moved materially higher. And, uh, you, you know, with loan growth only now showing some momentum, I was a little surprised to see the move in credit fees back to well above pre-pandemic levels. Hey, good morning, Mario Taracha. I'll, I'll, I'll take that on the credit fee side. And there's a number of things in that credit fee line that are driving it. One of the things I would point out is, um, is uh, there are the BA-related activity. And so when you see clients in the commercial bank, particularly in Canada, as they grow uh, their, or they draw their facilities via BAs, and that does tend to skew by industry. So on the real estate side, BAs tend to be uh, utilized more. Uh, that shows up there rather than showing up into NII. So that's a big uh, that's a big part of it when you look at the credit fees. The other side of it is syndication fees, and so in our U.S. business, we continue to have very strong syndication activity uh, that is driving that uh, as well. And so when you look at you know that quarter over quarter for us, it was 22 uh, year over year, 33 million. A large part of that uh, is coming from those two items, right? The BAs and commercial banking, about half of the year-over-year -year number. U.S. commercial, about a quarter of it. And the rest of it is sort of on the corporate banking side uh, with fees on, uh, on some of the lending and standby facilities that have been put in place. Thank you. Is that helpful? Yeah, thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Securities. Please go ahead. 
Hi, good morning. Just maybe starting on credit, just a decent bump in the commercial non-gross impaired loan formations. I think you mentioned real estate, but it, it looked like there was some in oil and gas and education utilities. Maybe you can just unpack a little bit more about what you're seeing um, in there. Thank you. Sure. Good morning, Doug. So we did see a handful of accounts go impaired this quarter. Nothing out of uh, out of our expectations in terms of how things have been progressing. There were a, a, a couple in the real estate sector. There were a couple in the utilities sector. They were a bit chunky, so they they would have moved the uh, the gross impaired loan number up this quarter. You've seen it. You know it's reflected now in our impaired uh, our impaired uh, provision number, uh, and uh, you know they didn't they don't kick off uh, particularly large losses. Our impaired losses are continuing to perform well quarter over quarter and by historical. So um, you know I would say normal portfolio activity, a handful of names that are contributing to that, and not outside of our expectations. Okay, and then if I can just sneak a quick one in, just on U.S. NIMS, I mean, they were much higher than what we expected. It seems like, and this is across the group, not just for yourselves, but the, pre, the P, triple P repayment activity is having quite a big impact on NIMS. Can you quantify what that would be um, for the quarter and how you see that evolving over the next year? Yeah, certainly. Good morning. It's Raj. Uh, I would say the core dynamic in the U.S. NIM continues to be uh, what we expected and, uh, and what we had uh, guided to. And so just quickly to cover that, and I'll get specifically to your question in a second. So on the core dynamic, we, as you know, have in the high 90th percent of our assets there are LIBOR-linked. And so uh, LIBOR didn't move much this quarter. It was down about a basis point. So the loan yields are pretty stable. The spreads on the loans are pretty stable. You look at the deposit side, we've continued to see growth and we've continued to see the repricing activity. So uh, we had said that we expect the core dynamic as we replace deposits to be slightly up, but net of those two things pretty stable to slightly up. And so we, we saw that. So you see on the slide we had uh, the deposit nine basis point help that we had. Two basis points roughly of that nine was that repricing, and the rest is the growth, and we've continued to see that good growth on deposits. On the prepayment side, you're right, that contributed, we had on the slide, 14 basis points, right? And that's not just the PPP program. So we had the start of prepayment of PPP this quarter, and that was uh, just a little bit over half of that 14 basis points number came from the PPP prepayments this quarter. So going forward, what do we expect? Uh, as I said in my remarks, we still think that core dynamic is the same, stable to slightly up. We think the deposit levels will stay elevated for a while here, may continue to go a bit further, but uh, those are going to decline later in the year as deposits uh, start getting deployed for growth uh, in our clients' balance sheets. And then on the prepayment side, there's going to be some noise, right? So we expect uh, PPP prepayments or forgiveness to really accelerate. Uh, here going into the next quarter or so. And then we're going to have the second wave of uh, PPP that has already started coming in. So in the short term, I expect some continued activity there that will help NIM. Uh, but the way I would think about it is if you strip that away, that core dynamic is uh, stable to up as deposits grow. Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Sorab Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, Victor, maybe a bit of a, a, a higher level management question. It looks like, uh, I mean, you obviously have an investment uh, schedule. You've got some plans to make the investments this year, probably next year. It looks like it's hard, obviously hard to make the call, but it feels like it's going to be an abnormally low, for the industry, abnormally low provisioning year, if you will. Is there an opportunity, is there any discretion at, uh, that you can, uh, around the timing of future period expenses that could actually be loaded into this year to, um, to allow for a better growth trajectory into 2022? Uh, Saurabh, that's a great question. You always ask the big quick, quick, quick picture questions, which I appreciate. Um, I think it's important to note where we've come from. Uh, I look at the bank over the last several years and what we've been able to do with our, our NICS ratio, what we've been able to do to transform our businesses from a technology standpoint, what we've been able to do from deploying capital and create a diversified, durable bank 
that's you know prepared for growth irrespective of the environment that's ahead of us and better relative uh, competitive performance than we've delivered over the last year, let's just say. As we look at the year ahead, the plans that we have, the investments that we're making, we're very comfortable that that will continue to deliver superior performance in all of our core business lines. If we see the economy pick up at a more rapid clip than you know prognosticators are projecting, we would have the ability to continue to invest at maybe a more rapid clip. But I'm very comfortable with the investments that we're making today in the backbone of our technology, in the client user experience of our technology, and in our product portfolio. And I believe that what we have today, Sorab, will deliver that superior performance. You're seeing that across every single business line at CIBC. We said that we're going to grow at market or above market, and you're seeing it everywhere. It's not only emerging this past quarter, it's emerged in the last couple of quarters, and I think you're going to be able to see that in the quarters ahead. Okay. Thank you. I'll you. Thank you. The next question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Um, Parach, you talked about uh, overall expenses and, uh, and increases on, uh, on, on the Canadian side, but on the U.S. side, um, you know, expenses were down 2% year over year, um, and revenue growth was up 15. So how do you um, kind of view expenses on the U.S. side, uh, especially calling out reduced business development spend, but um, I think John commented that you actually added 210 new clients in the quarter, so uh, maybe kind of talk about that comment as well. Sure. Good morning, Scott. Happy to take that, and uh, I can also pass on afterwards to, uh, to Mike if you want to add anything on what uh, is happening in the business. But, uh, you know, the core dynamic in the U.S. is still that we are growing the business. So we are hiring on the front lines, we are developing client relationships, and we are serving our clients. Some of what has happened, though, is the, uh, the way you do that has changed since the pandemic restrictions have come in. And so that's what you're seeing there is some of the client development activities, the travel, uh, the entertainment, and so forth, the advertising, the sponsorship events, all of those things have, uh, have taken a bit of a backseat. And so the way client development is done now is different. We haven't stopped. We continue to cover our clients. And we continue to invest in the business as well. So um, the net of those at this point is providing a benefit, but we do see expense growth uh, overall growing this year, particularly as we see the economy opening up and that client development going back to being done the way it was always done. And, you know, it's going to be in the back half of the year, hopefully if the U.S. continues on the trajectory it is, you know, it's on a year-over-year basis, you're going to be comparing a period of restrictions on travel and so forth to a period with no restrictions. And so uh, we do expect that to accelerate. And on a net basis, like I said, expenses being up uh, year over year. But uh, maybe Mike can give you a bit more color on client development. Yes, thank you, uh, Ratch. Uh, just to go back to uh, you know our, our basic approach in the U.S., we are we are a relationship-oriented bank in both the uh, commercial uh, banking area and in the uh, in the wealth area as well. And the team has done a fantastic job over the course of the past year um, bringing in new strategic relationships, in large part through uh, referrals from other parts of the, uh, of the, of the U.S. SBU and our Canadian and capital markets uh, colleagues. And so we have done a good job. We have expanded on those, on those uh, significant uh, you know, client relationships. But at the end of the day, because we're a relationship-oriented bank, you know, we have to get back out and see our clients. So that's what we're talking about in the back half of the year, going out and, again, sitting down with our clients, talking about new business, new business opportunities, and also uh, going out and, and prospecting for new clients. Again, I'll go back to the build-out of our private banking network in the U.S., which has had a, uh, a spectacular success, and we can hope to continue to build on that. And all that is going to uh, entail us uh, going out and visiting with our clients. So that's that's why we talk about uh, you know increase of, and, and those types of expenses in the back half of the year. All right. Now that makes more sense to me. Now, thank you very much. Thank you. 
The next question is from Lamar Persaud from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Can you comment on what you're seeing in terms of narrowing the performance gap on uh, domestic mortgage renewals? It looks like to me this quarter a lot of it could have just been due to strong originations, but I'm just looking for an update on I think other performance gaps on the uh, Resil side that could cause your mortgage growth to actually outperform peers. Uh, good morning, Lamar. Um, I'll take that one. Uh, as I said earlier, I think uh, a lot of the, you know, the changes that we've made, Victor talked about the investments that we made to our mortgage platform. We've also put new people in roles. We've made a number of process improvements. Uh, a lot of things that have helped, I'd say, increase our advisor productivity and our turnaround times. So not only are we seeing uh, an increase uh, in new originations that are up just under 100% on a year-over-year basis, we're seeing that we're doing better on the client retention front. So we're being more proactive with our reach-outs. We've got increased points of contact, all aimed at better anchoring our clients. So we're doing uh, better on client retention. You know, I would say uh, a year ago our retention numbers were sort of in the uh, 80 plus percent uh, area and now we're at retention uh, where we're just at 90 uh, percent. So we are making, I would say, really good progress. We've got some uh, strong performance indicators that we track weekly to ensure that we're headed in the right direction. So. Uh, so yes, the fact that the market is up and the market is hot is certainly helping. It's, it's what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, but we are making uh, changes to how we do things uh, in such a way uh, that I believe that we're going to be able to deliver, I'm going to say, more consistent and sustainable performance uh, over the long term. Um, does that answer your question? It does. It does. Thanks. I'll, I'll uh, recue. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Darko Mihalic from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Good morning. And I apologize if you kind of gone over this. Uh, my phone kicked out uh, while you were doing your opening remarks, Victor. So um, again, I apologize if you've already covered this. But my question is, there's two questions. The first one's, um, and they're both related. The first question is, what happens with First Caribbean now? Um, is it still for sale? Would you consider IPOing it again? Uh, and if not, do you have to make some investments there? Um, and and what's your expectation there? It leads into the next part of the question, which is with corporate. Uh, but I'll leave that second question um, for as a follow-up after I hear your answer to this first one. Okay, so let me uh, let me take the first one. Sorry about your phone service, Darko. Um, <laughs> uh, first Caribbean, as you know, we we highlighted the complexity of the regulatory review process. Uh, to all of you, and um, you know, you all know that the regulator made the decision to turn down the change in control transaction. There was a, you know, and I think it's in, you know, it's affected by the COVID pandemic and the particularly acute impact on the economy in the Caribbean region. Our plan was to sell it to um, a regional investor to transform the bank and to get more regional scale. Our alternate plan today, which was always a, there was always a plan B for us, is to continue to transform our bank. It's a good franchise. We've been in there for 100 years. Uh, we have a plan to improve performance, improve profitability, and make it the durable franchise for the long term that I know it is. I'm going to pass it on to Harry because he oversees that business with our team down there, and uh, he can shed some additional light, and then I'll take your second question. Thank you, Victor. Yes. Uh, hi, Darko. Good morning. As Victor said, we have a, a long history in the Caribbean. Uh, we have a, a strong team uh, that's, that's leading our business in the region um, with a great client franchise, I might add. And so now the focus is truly on optimization of our business and really uh, positioning FCIB for a post-COVID uh, world successfully. And I, I believe that we have the path forward now in execution to make that happen. So I'm rather optimistic on this team and on the client franchise, and that's the plan for as Victor said, the plan on the path forward. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And and my second question, you know, takes First Caribbean, and and really what I want to uh, ask Karach about is is really the corporate segment. There's a couple of things in there that I'm curious about. One is you do mention you know there's going to be higher expenses because of strategic enterprise. Why? Can you give me an example? I mean, 
why would corporate house a lot of the strategic spend? Why wouldn't the strategic spend be pushed out into the segments that are actually um, doing the spend? And then secondarily, so am I, am I to take, I mean, I, I've always maybe erroneously thought that you tried to work hard in the past to get corporate and other down to, you know, a very minimal sort of loss. But it, it sounds like what you're saying is the, the loss in corporate will be larger from here. And maybe you can give me a hand with the model. Um, you know, if it's if it if we're not getting more revenue from Treasury and First Caribbean, is it purely just higher expenses from here on in, and is the loss going to be similar to last year's kind of quarterly run rate of losses in the corporate segment? Sure. Morning, Darko. Happy to take that. And um, okay, you, you're right on the philosophy. We've historically guided to the segment as a small loss, but I would break that down and say there's a number of different components to it that happened to come up to that. So number one is the first Caribbean business, and, and that's a business. So overall, that had, that's a profitable business. The profitability of that business was in the segment. Treasury, we manage Treasury not as a profit center, so we manage Treasury as a utility, and so we aim overall for net around zero profitability for Treasury. Um, and you know the reason for fluctuations is really always just noise, noise because of market factors and you know transfer pricing not catching up with the speed of movement and rates and so forth, things like that. But I would say noise that normalizes over time. That's why Treasury has ran historically in the plus or minus range. And so what ends up happening is you've got the expense side then left as a third component. And historically what we had is the profitability of, uh, of First Caribbean actually offsetting almost entirely the expense side of what's not allocated and stays in corporate and other. Uh, and that's why you had the result that you had. But the dynamic of each of those components is changing, right? So if we look at the expense side, it is accelerating. And just to give you some of the examples of the types of things, you're right. Most of the things that are directly attributed to businesses, we allocate out. There are some of the other corporate and other expenses that are related to enterprise kind of head office and, uh, and overhead type costs that stay there that aren't allocated in the normal course. And when it comes to project, there is enterprise-wide initiatives, whether it's sort of defense-type technologies and so forth that cut across the entire enterprise. Some of those types of things are kept in the center or anything else that we deem is not directly uh, sort of um, driving business results those kinds of things uh, would be staying in, uh, in uh, the center to some extent. So that's, that's what's driving that, and, uh, Darko. And so when we look forward, I see that accelerating a little bit as we go through this year. Not, n nothing drastic, but accelerating a little bit. And then the decline in both Treasury and FCIB that has happened uh, is going to be with us for a little while. And so net-net, that's going to drive the loss in the segment a little bit higher than where it's been. Again, I think you had, you know, you had last quarter at 110, this quarter at 68. Somewhere between those two is where I would guide you as a range. So this isn't a big shift we're talking about, uh, but it's driven by those two items on the revenue side being a bit more unusual, and they will normalize over time. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I wanted to touch on deposits, and it sounds like you expect uh, deposits to normalize and to give back some of the benefit you're seeing on margins, but to offset that with loan growth. So I'm trying to get a sense of timing. Do you expect the bulk of that loan growth to lag deposit normalization, or do you think, uh, or do you expect loans to uh, pick up and grow at the same time deposits normalize? Let me take a crack at that, Nigel. Good morning. Um, I expect that as the economy opens up, the deposits normalize as you outlined, and I would expect that our personal and business bank will see an uptick in credit card balances as consumers begin to spend while continuing to maintain and grow market share in the mortgage segment. I expect that the notable changes in our commercial bank, particularly in Canada as the, as the economy opens up, will see an uptick in loans. And the corporate bank, I think, will continue to behave as it's behaving today. Corporate clients are tapping the debt capital markets and we're participating meaningfully there uh, and growing their uh, bank debt kind of, it, 
I, I think at the same level that, they, that you've seen over the past year. So I'd see the most notable in impacts in the credit card balances, and I would see that also in the Canadian Commercial Bank as the, as the economy begins to open up. Got it. Appreciate the call. Thank you. The next question is from Mike Rizvanovic from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. A question probably for Laura, maybe Hrach. I wanted to talk about the Canadian PNC NIM, and thanks for the added color. It's on slide eight of your presentation. And I guess when I look at the chart on the bottom left, what surprises me is the magnitude of the impact from business mix, and I'm, I'm guessing that's, that's the mortgage growth that we're seeing that's coming back. And so going back to maybe Laura's comment earlier where you do continue to expect to see that gravitate toward industry levels, uh, you're still about 200 basis points below your peers in terms of year-over-year -year growth. And so if I was to normalize for rates and, and maybe, maybe assume the rate impact of five deeps goes to zero and deposit growth uh, maybe doesn't provide the boost that you had this quarter sequentially, it, it, it sort of indicates, uh, correct me if I'm thinking about this um, the wrong way, but you could see some pretty uh, sizable margin compression just on business mix alone if the other two factors sort of wash each other out. Um, it, could you could you maybe see like a 10 basis point decline over the course of the, the the rest of this year maybe on an aggregate basis is that is that too high or like what would mitigate that business mix impact if you continue to see this book grow? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, I'll, it's Raj. I'll start, and then Laura can uh, maybe provide color on the business afterwards. So uh, you, you've touched on some of the key elements when you look at the margin, and we had it right there on the slide. It's impacted by business mix, and it's impacted by rates, and it gets helped by deposits because as deposits grow, you get the NII, but you don't have an increase in your interest-earning assets. So, so deposits do have quite a bit of leverage on NIM uh, because of that dynamic. So if I go through each of those components, uh, number one, rates, you touched on it. So we knew rates were going to be a headwind on this business. We had said in the past that rates alone is in the low single-digit range, if you will, uh, on a quarter-over-quarter quarter basis as we continue to track through the repricing of the longer-term part of the balance sheet. And that dynamic is largely the same. It's a little bit better now. I mean, you've seen quite a bit of steepness. You look at the three- to five-year swap rates, uh, they're materially up. I mean, they're up even more than 10 basis points since quarter end to now. So that helps. So that takes a bit of the sting off, but that's a few basis points, and maybe it's a little bit lower now than what we expected. The other element of rates is the short-term rate repricing, and that happens fairly quickly. So after Q2, Q3, when we did see those rates drop, there is, I'd say, about half of the rate impact that that business is feeling now is that short-term repricing. So that impacts its margin year over year, but that goes away once we get past Q2 and Q3. So the rate impact, think of it as getting to about half of what it is now and continuing unless rates continue to improve. Then the asset mix component, again, has two pieces to it. So one is the mortgage is growing, but the other one is really the decline in card balances. And so when you look at the card balance side, you have a significant decline again from Q2 levels last year, but it has stabilized. We're not seeing growth again in card outstanding balances, but it's stabilized. So once again, once you get through Q2 and your comp on a year-over-year -year basis becomes a margin with the current, call it, and then maybe similar mar uh, balances of cards, then that impact will be smaller too. So you know, net-net of all of that, I expect a few basis points a quarter for the remainder of the year. But as you get to the tail end of the year, um, you know, and as cards accelerate, you could see it be even better than that. Okay, so a couple of basis points per quarter through the rest of the year and then uh, some stability. I think is the that... current, what you're seeing in terms of current, a bit more than a couple is probably uh, the next couple of quarters here and then uh, better maybe after that, yeah. Okay, perfect. That, that, that's very helpful. Thanks very much. Thank you. This will conclude the question and answer session. I'd like to turn the meeting back over to Victor. Thank you, operator. I got to put my mic on. <laughs> our, uh, our results this quarter demonstrate the strength of our core franchise and the benefits from our diversified business mix and our client-focused growth strategy. We're delivering for our stakeholders, and we're delivering by executing against our strategy. I hope that came through in the questions that you asked and the answers that we provided. Our balance sheet position remains strong. It provides us with significant flexibility to continue to support our clients, to continue to grow our business, and fundamentally, 
to drive shareholder value and return to cap capital to our shareholders, which is what we've been doing for the last bit. And you see that in our numbers, you see that in our share price. We're going to continue to take a conservative approach to our risk and expense management. We're reinvesting our cost savings into organic growth. And we are leveraging technology to improve efficiency and to improve client experience right across every business unit at CIBC. We remain well capitalized, we remain well provisioned, and we're going to continue to sensibly adapt to the changing macroeconomic environment. I want to thank our 44,000 team members globally for their unwavering support for our clients, for our communities, and for one another, and for bringing our purpose to life each and every day. It's truly a team effort that makes CIBC a success, and to our shareholders, thank you again for your continued support, and to the analysts and investors on the call, thank you for your fine questions, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Stay safe. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.